0: God bless you guys. Welcome once again to Swerve Church, and I'm really excited. I hope you guys are excited. We're in week three of Nehemiah, and so we're going to be continuing in this book. It's been an amazing book. It's been a super encouraging one. For me, I told you guys that uh, for me, it was really, uh, man, one of those books and one of those characters from the Bible that really encouraged me towards doing what we're doing here today, gathering on a Sunday uh, through the planting of this church here in this community. It was really one of those Really, I really felt inspired from God and it was a confirmation from God through the life of Nehemiah to be doing what we're doing today. And so I'm really excited. Uh, take out your message notes. Open that up uh, today. Most of our verses are there today in your message notes. Feel free to also, if you have your Bible, open it up or scroll uh, to Nehemiah. We'll be in chapter four. So the majority of the verses are there. There is a small passage that's not there. And uh, so we'll, we'll get to that when it gets there. Uh, but here's the big idea, okay? So in case you tune out for the rest of the message, here's the really, really big idea. It's this, that whenever you say yes to God, you can be sure that you're going to face opposition, okay? So whenever you say yes to God, you can be sure that you will face opposition. So before we uh, get a little bit more into this in Nehemiah chapter 4, um, I just want to recap a little bit of what we've been talking about in the past two weeks. I don't want to bore you. Let's do it really quick. just want to catch you up. So what we've been talking about. We learned that Nehemiah was an ordinary guy, right? He's an ordinary Joe. He was cupbearer to the king. And then we learned that he was just an ordinary guy and literally a dead-end job, um, right? And when he hears about the conditions of the walls back home in Jerusalem, he finds out that there, there's been no progress on the walls. They're absolutely in shambles. They're completely uh, destroyed. When he finds out about this, it does something deep down inside of him. It, we, we We learned that he has this... This develop, he developed this burden from God. He really feels that he needs to go and do something about this situation, and so we really learned week one this that God specializes in using ordinary people to accomplish His extra, extraordinary purposes. Man, I am super excited about that. I don't know about you guys, because that means that God can use a normal guy like me to accomplish His purposes. And we learned that Nehemiah he responded in three ways. If you guys remember, we 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 learned that ordinary world changers sit down to cry. The first thing Nehemiah does when he hears about the condition of the walls, it breaks his heart, literally to tears. And he weeps over the condition of the walls. The second thing we learned about ordinary world changers is that they kneel down to pray. Once he downloaded this vision from God for what he was calling them to do, Nehemiah began to call out to God. In fact, we see about 12 instances throughout the book of Nehemiah where Nehemiah is just crying out to God, praying to God, and asking for his direction. But if we just had that, then we'll be quite passive, right? We want to do something else. We want to do the third thing, which is stand up to act. And so last week, we saw Nehemiah before the king, and he's able to present this burden to the king. He's able to express this vision that he feels that God's placed upon his heart. And and through uh, through so, nothing short of the stirring of God's uh, of God to the heart of the king, the king actually provides safe passageway and timber for Nehemiah to head back home to begin to work on this project to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And it's really nothing short of a miracle. Basically, long story short, the king provides resources. He provides resources to Nehemiah for this project. Now, once Nehemiah is there, he takes three days and he begins to look at at the condition of the walls. And then finally, he says let me call the people, let me gather, let me get them together, and let me rally the people to cast this compelling vision for what God is calling us to do as far as rebuilding of the walls. And we learned this, that in order to make a difference in this world, we don't have to be the best, we just have to care the most. We don't have to be the best, we just have to care care the most. And through Nehemiah, we were able to learn that a change-your-world leader Defines the mission clearly, right? What's the mission? For Nehemiah was to go and rebuild the walls. And then a change your world leader makes plans carefully. And we learned from our reading plan during the week that it was about six, seven months between when Nehemiah received the vision to when he was actually able to present it before the king. There was time. And in that time, he was making plans carefully. And the third thing we learned is that that change your world leaders inspires people passionately. They passionately inspire and cast vision for what God is calling them to do. Okay, so now, uh, today we're in Nehemiah chapter 4, and I'm going to ask you guys this question. Think about this. Why is it that so often when we attempt to do something for God, we encounter what seems like limitless opposition, right? It'll take nothing much but, man, I want to do this for God. Man, I want to grow in my relationship. I want to draw closer to God. I want to study my Bible. I want to really be involved in church and use my gifts to bless the church. Man, I want to start a new ministry, a new initiative. And the moment that you say that you want to do something for God, right away it seems like we come across all this opposition, right? The moment you say yes to God, it seems like opposition comes from absolutely every single corner and it attempts to keep you from accomplishing God's purposes for your life. You know, we had a stretch of time when uh, my wife and I we were serving at a, a local at a youth at a youth uh, homeless youth shelter in the city. It's called Covenant House. And they they have a shelter on the corner of 42nd and 10th Avenue. Man, it was amazing. We had a great stretch of doing ministry there, serving the youth there about five plus years, um, helping them there, serving, preaching the gospel, serving them, giving them food, and having a great time with them there. And it was amazing. We would meet there on a monthly basis. Man, these were some really broken, abandoned, and abused kids. In fact, some of them already had kids, so kids with kids at this homeless shelter. But every time we would head to Covenant House to do this ministry, Man, we would face so much opposition; it wasn't even funny, you know. From from simple and practical things like we would encounter insane amounts of traffic, like what, what should have been like a 40-minute drive. I'm, I kid you not, it, it would take somewhere upwards of two hours plus. And we would leave with plenty of time to get there on time. We would always, but we would always end up being on the brink of being late. And if you guys know me, like I hate that so much. I want to be there. I want to serve these kids. I want to, I want to, you know, I want to be there with enough time to set up the chairs or whatever, and love and serve whatever kids come by. But these oppositions, the tra- traffic, or, or or relational kind of strife and stuff would always happen, and they would always oppose us, no matter no matter what would happen. You know, then my uncle, he was actually the one that helped us start this ministry. He he came across some tough times, and then eventually he stopped joining me on on going to Covenant House to minister to these kids. And the funny thing is that he was the main reason I started going in the first place. He was the one that really had a burden for these kids and he invited me to come along. In fact, he's the one that had the compelling story. You know, he, he, he used to sleep in the park bench at Maria Hernandez. He used to shoot dope and do drugs and was addicted. And, and he had this crazy testimony of how God delivered him out of that world of darkness. And I was just coming along. You know, I was I was the hype man or whatever. You know, Just, just helping him. He's the opening act, you know. He, he was the one that kind of Really drew those kids because he had that compelling story. So when he when he left and he stopped coming, I said, "Man, what am I going to do?" Because I'm just a church kid. I'm just a church kid. I can't relate to these guys. They respected him, and suddenly I found myself having to figure out who was going to come with me, who's going to come with me to Covenant House to preach uh, to these kids and and to love and serve them. So I would go with Melissa and I would go with my sister, and, and, and we would go, and sometimes. I had to drag the kids with me sometimes and it's not, it's just not a kid appropriate place. Like, you know, it was, it was very difficult. And I would invite people all the time. Like I, I would, I would invite evangelists and preachers, you know, guys that, that say they really love to preach the gospel. They, they say it. And I would invite them, yo, you want to preach the gospel? Man, go here. There's nobody there doing that. Come with me. But for some reason, people would rather sit on a pew on a Sunday than to serve in the jungle. And that's where we were in the in the concrete jungle on 42nd and 10th Avenue. Those kids were wild. They, they just wouldn't come. So every time I would set out to go over there, I found so many obstacles. There was so much difficulty. Man, to do a great thing, right? To preach the gospel to a bunch of youth that really, really abandoned youth, homeless youth that really needed to hear the message of Jesus. And I'm sure, as I tell you guys this story, you're thinking of your own story of whenever you set out to do something for God, and all of a sudden, all these obstacles come up. You experience all this resistance. Am I right or am I, or am I wrong? I'm right, right? Every single time. And it's in those moments, <laughs> in those moments, it can be easy to think that if we're facing this set opposition, it must be because we're doing something wrong, right? We, we tend to think that, like, man, I'm facing all this opposition. I'm, I must be doing something wrong. You know, it can't be that this is what God's calling me to do. We can pick up the blame and we can shoulder the blame And we, or we can even believe that God must not be in this. Alright, God's not in this, obviously, because I'm always facing this opposition. So, of course, the temptation is to what? Quit, right? Quit. Throw in the towel. Hang up the gloves. You know, insert your analogy here. Alright, give up. Alright, that's, that's, that's the tendency, man. We're having all these obstacles. It must mean that God's not in this and it's time for me to quit. But I want to encourage you guys with this. That we don't face opposition because we're doing something wrong. We face it because we're doing something right. We don't always face opposition because we're doing something wrong. We face it because we're doing something right. What we need to remember is that we have a very real spiritual enemy. We have a very real spiritual enemy, guys. Do you guys know that? Just as there is light, guess what? There's darkness. As surely as there is a God, there is a devil. And the Bible teaches us that our spiritual enemy's job is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he would love nothing more than to put an end to God's purposes in each and every single one of your lives. And I know uh, maybe we we don't like to talk about our spiritual enemy. We don't like to talk about the devil and and his attempts to put an end to what God's calling us to do. But the truth is that he's there. And he's there seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. And if you're saying that you want to pursue Jesus and you want to live out God's will for your life, you want to honor God, then guess what? The enemy is, according to God's word, he's prowling like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. But if you're complacent, if you're unresponsive, then guess what? He doesn't really have a reason to, to bother you, right? Which is why opposition is not a sign that you're doing something wrong. It's a sign that you're doing something right. It means that you're heading in the direction of God's will for your life. And for the remainder of our time, let's look at uh, two ways that we can see from the life of Nehemiah how our spiritual enemy will oppose us, right? So guys, open up your notes. There's just two points there that I want you to fill in, and we're going to read some of the verses that are in chapter 4 of Nehemiah. Here's the first thing we see is that our enemy will try to discourage you from the outside. Our spiritual enemy will try to discourage you from the outside. And we see this in Nehemiah chapter 4. Let's read verses 1 through 3. So if you open up your Bibles, it's there in your notes as well. Here's what it says. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, so Sanballat, there, guys, is one of his enemies. Okay, so you need to know that. You want to write a letter E on top of Sanballat's name. That stands for enemies. One of the guys that got wind of what was going on of what was happening in Jerusalem. And he realized, "Uh uh-oh, they're rebuilding the walls. I need to put a stop to this. Sambalat. So when Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. And he ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, check this out, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble? Burn as they are? And then Tobiah the Ammonite, in verse 3, you can write a letter E over his name because he's another one of those enemies standing right next to a Sambalat and also poking fun at the Jews. Here's what he says. Tobiah the Ammonite, verse 3, who was at his side said, what they are building, check this out, check out the humor, even a fox climbing on it would break down their wall of stones. Isn't that crazy? As the surrounding nations, as they begin to get wind of what's going on in in Jerusalem under the leadership of Nehemiah, people begin to talk. People begin to spread rumors. People begin to criticize. People begin to talk. And prominently among those people were Sambalat and Tobias, who were tag-teaming to really poke fun and to distract and to discourage Nehemiah. They were not going to sit idly by while the construction of the wall would begin. And for this, we see two ways in particular that our enemies attempt to discourage us. Because once again, whenever we set out to accomplish whatever God's calling us to do, then you can be sure that their enemies will rise to put an end or to put an obstacle or stumbling block in our way. So for this, there's two ways in particular our enemy will try to discourage us that we see from this passage. And the first thing is obstacles. Obstacles will come out. The enemy uses Two men, right? These two men, Sambal and Tobias, to become a stumbling block to Nehemiah. They came to make noise and to make Nehemiah's life impossible. To ridicule and, and, and to really hurt him. Likewise for us, a series of obstacles can arise to help discourage us from accomplishing God's will and God's purpose for our lives, right? Those obstacles can come up. Has that ever happened to you? Here's the second thing that we see. Criticism. Criticism is another way that our enemies will attempt to discourage us. And as you guys see it here, the Sambalat and Tobias, they begin to discourage the construction of the walls by hurling insults. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt me? I I don't think so, right? These words are hurting. They're cutting deep to Nehemiah. They're very insulting words that they're throwing. They begin to make fun of the construction of the walls and even of the fact that they're trying to rebuild it. They said, uh, how are they going to pick up the pieces of dust to put them together to make this wall? Man, if a little fox, if a little mouse, if a little animal creature climbs over this wall, it's going to crumble it. Can you hear the insults and the sarcasm and the criticism that's coming from those words? But here's what we learn from Nehemiah's story, from this section, that if you want to do anything significant for God, guess what's going to happen? You will be criticized. If you want to do anything significant for God, you will be criticized. And we see this throughout Scripture, right? (laughs) All the time. Pretty much any story that you can pick up from the Old Testament or new, you see this all the time. Think about the immense amount of criticism that Peter and Paul and Stephen had had faced. They attempted to spread the gospel and they were criticized for doing so, weren't they? And and of course, Jesus himself. (laughs) Jesus himself. all he did was proclaim the kingdom of God and his critics surrounded him from the very start of his ministry up until he died on the cross for our sins. In fact, you can even say two thousand years later, his critics are still, they're, they're still well, you know, they're still offering their criticism. His critics are still around today, aren't they? And I'm sure as you hear me say this, you're recalling times when you were criticized because you said yes to God, because you said you wanted to accomplish something for God, and you set out maybe even just to Begin a relationship following Jesus and right away your unbelieving friends begin to to speak about and criticize what you're doing. Oh, man, you're going to church, man. You're so full of baloney. You're such a hypocrite, right? And offer all these criticisms to you for doing that, right? The moment you set out to accomplish something for God, as soon as you stepped out in faith, that's what happened. And you're recalling of these times. But let's look at what Nehemiah did. What did Nehemiah do when he heard these critics But you read it in Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 4 to 6. It's also there in your notes. Let's look at Nehemiah's response. He says this. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. What you need to know is that Nehemiah is praying. Once again, he goes to God and he's praying. He says, hear us, O God. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Look at verse 5. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. And then this is amazing. Verse 6 tells us, So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with how much of their heart? With all of their heart. Isn't that amazing? That as you look at Nehemiah's hearing these criticisms, he's hearing these insults being hurled at him and what he does he does the first thing he does when he's faced with criticism. He takes it to God. He takes it up to God. He he prays. Well, how different is that for us, right? When we're criticized, what's the first thing that you do, man? They diss me. Let me see how much more I can diss them back, or, or, or we can do something real passive aggressive and like put like a really long Facebook post, right? That is not is not geared towards anybody, but we're like insulting them in it, right? That's 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 just the natural way, right? That we respond when we're criticized. You know, but Nehemiah didn't do that. He takes it to God. He begins to pray and talk to God. God, man, they're criticizing me, man. It hurts so bad. And and here, he's calling judgment. He's like, God, kill them, don't forget their sins, you know. But he's being honest with God. He's being honest with God, man. What they're saying is really hurting me. And he brings it to God. But then what else does he do? The second thing he does, gets back to work. He doesn't allow the criticism to stop him from doing what God's called him to do he gets back to work. Once he presents this to God, once he prays to God, he gets right back to work. Remember this, guys. You don't answer to critics. You answer to God. You don't answer to critics. You answer to God. You don't ultimately report to other people. You are most accountable to God. And a critic's purpose and their job, their sole purpose in life is to simply distract you from accomplishing your task at hand. You have this task to accomplish, and the critic's job is going to try to stop you from accomplishing that. We're going to take it to God, and we're going to keep at work. We're going to take this criticism to God, and we're going to keep at work. The second way our enemy is going to try to oppose us is this right here. He's going to discourage you from the inside. He's going to discourage you from the inside. And for this, we're going to go into our Bibles or our apps. This This is not on your notes. But it's Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 10 to 12. And I'm going to read it for you. Here's what it says. Feel free to follow along, guys, on your app or on your Bibles if you want. This is verses 10 to 12. It says, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said... All right, so the people in Judah. These are the Jews, right? These are the Israelites. Here's what they said. The strength for the laborers is giving out. And there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Verse 11, also our enemy says, so now the enemies are talking again, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and kill them and put an end to the work. Verse 12, then the Jews who live near them came and told us ten times over, these are the Jews again, look what they said, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Now, the criticism is not just coming from Sambalat Tobias, the surrounding nations, the people hearing about the work? It's coming from inside. It's coming from from the the Israel, it's coming from Israel, the people of Judah, the Israelites, the people that are supposed to be most committed and most, you know, most wanting to see this happen. The Jews in the surrounding area, they begin to say, Man, they're gonna kill you, bro. They're gonna they're gonna stop this work, man. I hear these rumors, I hear this criticism. You better stop, man. There's a threat. And how often, guys, when when we want to seek God and we want to do something for God, we want to accomplish God's purposes for our life, sometimes we get criticism from outside, but guess what? Sometimes inside, sometimes from friends that we love, sometimes from family, sometimes from people that are really close to us, they begin to criticize as well. And and, and of course, it's one thing to get attacked from an enemy, right? sometimes like the stings of a brother hurt more, right? Those that are closest to us. Man, you know, I thought you were supposed to be on my side. I thought you were supposed to be encouraging me. And the truth is that sometimes the people closest to us, they don't have God vision, right? They can't see how God's at work in your life. And they begin to sometimes not knowingly, sometimes very much trying to harm you and criticize you and try to put an end to God's work. So how do we defeat discouragement? How do we defeat this? Whether it comes from the inside or whether it comes from the outside, how do we defeat discouragement? Well, let's look at what Nehemiah did in verse 14. This is there in your notes. It says this. Why don't we read this verse together? Okay, It's a little bit of a long verse, but let's read it together, guys. there from your notes. Okay, let's read it nice and loud. Ready? Read. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, The officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Do you guys see Nehemiah's response there? Do you see it? I love Nehemiah's response. What a leader. Don't be afraid of them. What do you do? Remember the Lord. Underline that right there, guys, in your notes. Remember the Lord. That's the first thing that we're going to do. When we get criticized and when people bring up things in our lives that are trying to really hold us back from accomplishing God's will and God's purposes for our lives, we're going to remember the Lord. And what that means is that we're going to take time to reflect all that God has done. We're going to take time to think back and remember the Lord and remember his faithfulness to us. And if you guys think back just a little bit, I'm sure you can think of many opportunities where God has really been involved and God's really blessed and God's really helped you in your life. And what we want to do is remember. You know, it's really funny that um, this week I was looking at some really old posts that I had on Facebook going back to 2012 and 2013. And it's amazing to me because I was reading this from Nehemiah 4.14 and it was telling me to remember the Lord. And, and you guys know me. If you remember in January, any, anybody remember what my word was? It was a long time ago. My, my word was encouragement, right? I was, I was like, you know, it's so easy for me to go through discouragement, And I said, my word is going to be encouragement. I want to be encouraged. And so I was looking through all that happened since 2013, 2012, 2013. Man, and I remember. I remember when a vision was birthed to plant a life-giving gospel-centered church in Bushwick. And I remember my wife and I were in a tiny one-bedroom apartment with two boys, and and, and Melissa had her belly up to here ready to pop out melody. And we were squeezed into this tiny little one-bedroom apartment in East Williamsburg. I remember that we prayed, and we asked God, God, give us another place. But you guys know how expensive it is? You guys know how difficult it is to find an apartment? And we prayed, and we prayed, and God, and we got this content. We got discontent, and I had to say, man, God, forgive me for my discontent. I'm grateful for what I have. And only until I was able to do that and pray and pray out to God, then God opened up a a door for us. Three years later, we moved into an apartment, a three-bedroom apartment, right smack dab, literally in the middle of Bushwick on Gates and Knickerbocker, a three-bedroom, bathroom-and-a-half apartment, something that only God could have done for us right when we needed it. I remember that. I remember when I was desperately seeking out partnerships. When I said, man, I had this vision to plant the church. God, I need partnerships. I need somebody to encourage me. I need somebody to help me. And God brought along network churches to help me and encourage me towards planting the church. Network churches technically doesn't even exist anymore. But at the time, they were around and they really encouraged. They saw something in me. And I remember when I when I realized that we need a team. I can't do this. It's just me, my wife, and my kids and I, I realized we need a team to begin this venture, and God brought along some friends during the early days to really help encourage us. And I remember holding Bible studies in my apartment, in my living room, and inviting them. I remember having life groups at the park, and I remember setting up, uh, uh making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches so that we can give out to the community. I remember that. And so those that those people aren't even around anymore, but I remember those times and how God provided that for that season. And I remember not too long ago, we were looking for a place, a space to rent. We didn't have a location, right? We were looking for a space. Barrios remembers this. And the rents are so high, it's so difficult to try to find a space, but churches didn't want to rent out their space for whatever reason. But God placed some strategic relationships around me so that we could Uh, meet Pastor Andre. So that relationship performed. We met him and they agreed to allow us to meet here in their basement so that we could launch and have a better space. And now we're praying for a new space, right? And I know that God's going to provide that because I remember. How about in your life when discouragement comes? If you're discouraged right now, what ways has God been faithful to you in your life? When discouragement comes, take time. To remember. Nehemiah said, remember the Lord. And here's the second thing. The second thing Nehemiah teaches us is this, to fight for our cause. Fight for your cause. And what we can learn from that is simply don't give up. Don't quit. Because there will be times when you will be tempted to give up. There will be times when you will throw in the towel and nobody knows this better than me. It may seem too hard. And it can get too discouraging to handle but don't give up. And this is when Scripture, I've figured this, I've learned this, that this is when Scripture is especially true, that when I am weak, He is strong. Planting a church anywhere in the world is tough. Planting a, a church anywhere in New York City is tough. Planting a church in Bushwick is extremely tough with all the unique dynamics of our neighborhood, a neighborhood like Bushwick, with gentrification, with uh, the classism, the poverty, you know, with the broken homes, right? with, with the divisiveness, the lostness, all the sinfulness in our community, man, it really makes you know, planting a church here is no walk in the park, right? It's no piece of cake. It's very difficult, and we will all experience many opportunities to give in. But I'd like to challenge you to remember what we're fighting for. Nehemiah reminded his people. Man, this is what we're fighting for. Man, forget what they're criticizing. Forget what they're saying. Man, we're doing this for our families. Fight for your families. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives. Fight for your homes. And he was reminding them and he was encouraging them to remember what the cause was. Why are we doing this? He reminded the people what they were fighting for. And us, as we plant this church, listen, we're not just fighting for us to have some kind of holy huddle so that we can study the Bible together. No, we're fighting for our community. A neighborhood is made up of people, of families, of children, of seniors. We're fighting for these people. These are the people that God loves, that He loves so much that He sent His Son to die for them. He sent Jesus to come and die for them. And the Bible teaches us that broad is the road and wide is the path that leads to what? It leads to destruction. But narrow is the path that leads to life in Christ. But few are on it. This is why we're called Swerve Church. Because by God's grace, I pray that we can be an abrupt change in direction for those people on the wide path, on that broad path that leads to destruction and cause them to have an abrupt change in direction onto the path that leads to life in Christ. Not just for future eternal life, but for also an abundant and fruitful life on this earth right now. I really believe that that's what Jesus wants the people in this community to experience. So I encourage you, don't give up. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, you guys remember this? He too battled with the thought of giving up. The anxiety of what was to come, the pain, the the pain, you know, it proved to be, you know, the pain that lied ahead proved to be too much. And in the anxiety, the Bible teaches us that he actually begins to sweat drops of blood. And he tells God this. He tells him, if there's any way to remove this cup, What does that mean? I don't want to do this, God. Is there any way that you can change this? Is there any way that I can go through this without the pain and the suffering that I'm about to go through? And how many times do we find ourselves in that very moment? We find ourselves in those very times. I can't even begin to number how many times i found myself there on the edge of giving up and quitting. God, this is too much for me. God, you made a mistake. Pick someone else. But Jesus, he was there too. But he ended up saying, not my will, but your will be done. And aren't you glad that he did? Aren't you glad that Jesus did? Because then he set his face towards the cross and the mountain called the skull, But eventually they would nail him to a cross and hang him up and put him on display for everybody to see. Why? Because God made him who knew no sin to be made sin so that in him we may become the righteousness of god jesus on the cross picture this jesus on the cross losing an he's in excruciating pain losing an immense amount of blood breathing his last breaths he paid the debt that you owed because of your sin and he bore the sins of the world god poured out his wrath the wrath that you and i deserve god poured it on his son jesus so that those of us who choose to believe in Him, we can experience forgiveness of our sin. We can be made righteous before God. Not because of anything that we do, but because of what Christ did. And in Christ's life, when He resurrected from the grave, we receive new life, right? We are new creation. The old is gone. The Bible teaches us in 2 Corinthians 5.17. We have been made new by the power of Christ's resurrection. And that's why we say here, whoever finds God finds life. You don't have to be a slave to sin. I invite you today to experience forgiveness, not because of anything that we do, but because of what Jesus did, bearing the sins of the world on the cross. And we're about to celebrate Easter in a couple weeks, right? That's a big deal for us as Christians, The, the life, the death, and the resurrection ascension and the soon returning of Jesus Christ. It's a big deal uh, for us as Christians. If you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, I invite you uh, to follow him. In fact, would you guys please take out your connection cards? If you haven't put your name and email on that yet, please put that in. You'll have a moment to uh, drop that in the bucket in a second. But on the back, there's some next steps for you guys. And there's one there that I really hope that we can all take. This next step says this, remember the goodness of God and resolve not to give up. Whatever God's called you to do, whatever he's calling you to do, his purpose, his will for your life, remember the goodness of God and resolve not to give up. And God, as we uh, pray, I, just, I, I pray that you would help us today. To remember your goodness, God, it's just so amazing. As I was looking through those old Facebook posts, God, and just seeing just how faithful, how wonderful, how merciful, how great you've been, Lord, from the birth of a vision to where we are today. So only God knows the future. God, thank you, Lord, for helping me to remember that. God, I pray for everybody here, Lord, that we would take that step, that next step, to remember your goodness, to remember the goodness of the Lord, God. And I pray that you would give us resilience. Help us, Lord, to resolve not to give up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.